Welcome, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Bible Breakdown. This week, we are going to be continuing our series in Acts, and we are going to be in Acts 8, starting in verse 26 and going through verse 40. Um, I'm very excited to talk about this passage today. Um, One thing about the Scripture, and a reason that we can come to Scripture time and time again, that we can continue to read it, Um, over the course of decades and still be impacted by it is one, the Holy Spirit's obviously working through the words of scripture to impact us, but also scripture is just so, there's just so much depth. And this story is a great example. Um, It's an, it's an inch wide, but a mile deep, you know, we're looking at 15 verses today, but the things that are behind the text, the things that are in front of the text, uh, the things that are in the text, just, an incredible amount of depth and a lot of great stuff for us to talk about today. Um, so three topics that are going to come up are we're going to talk a little bit about evangelism, which is natural because we've got Philip out here sharing the gospel, doing some evangelism. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and what that looks like for us. Um, we're going to also talk about kind of this idea of the story of scripture and not looking at scripture as a collection of individual stories, but rather one cohesive story that is made up of individual units. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as that comes up in how Philip is going to be talking to this Ethiopian about scripture, about Jesus. And then we're also going to talk about this kind of unfolding narrative that's going on in Acts of how the gospel is moving to all nations. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. So we're going to start chapter 8, verse 26. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So what we see here is Philip, one of the apostles, Um, He is uh, prompted by an angel of the Lord to go to this certain area, uh, just a little bit outside of Jerusalem on the road, um, kind of desert areas, how it describes it. Um, He probably has no idea what is to befall him when he gets there, but he goes, he's obedient um, to this prompting from this angel of the Lord. And sure enough, he sees this man from what he probably immediately recognizes as a foreign country going down the road. And we now we're kind of given some editorial comments that, um, about who he was, or that he's a court official, uh, he's in charge of a bunch of treasure, and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship, um, that he was returning to Ethiopia. So we kind of get all that. I'm sure Philip must have learned some of those details. Not sure Philip managed to get the name here since we're never given a name for this Ethiopian. Um, and he was a, a eunuch probably by result of his position in the in the court. Um, I, I don't know about y'all, but when I was a kid, I was the one in class raising my hand. What's a eunuch? Um, and putting the teachers in an awkward position. Um, I think that y'all probably understand what a eunuch is. And if you don't, you can Google it, I guess, but be careful. So that's kind of what this guy is, an Ethiopian. So Ethiopia um, in biblical times was a little north of where Ethiopia is today, probably in the area of where Sudan is. So um, Sudan to Jerusalem is about 11, 11 and a half hours 
if you should take a commercial airline. So you can imagine that for this gentleman, this was quite a journey. The um, commentary I've been reading on Acts by Dr. Daryl Bach estimates that it's about five months each way, that trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. So this guy is committed. He's come to worship. Um, this could be the only time he's ever been to Jerusalem, given that distance. Um, it's likely, it's kind of unique, actually, that um, somebody from Ethiopia would come to Jerusalem to worship. But this shows that he probably had ties to Judaism, that he may have been a proselyte of Judaism, that he may have been what uh, sometimes referred to in the scripture as a God-fearer, someone who maybe uh, hasn't fully joined the Jewish community um, through things like circumcision, which for this gentleman would be a tough tough thing to accomplish, um, but that recognized the God of Israel, the God of Judaism. Um, so that's kind of the, the context that he's in. So it's interesting that Philip should happen upon this person, obviously, by a work of the Holy Spirit. And so he sees this guy in the Holy Spirit, tells him, hey, go over and join the chariot. And I don't know about you, but um, for me, this seems like, you know, you, you read it and you're like, the, whole, the Spirit said to Philip, well, did he say it out loud or how did it come up? I feel like I know exactly what happened to Philip because I have found myself in that kind of situation. You, you see someone somewhere and you just feel this this feeling in your gut or your heart or your brain, like I need to go talk to this person. I need to engage this person, even if I don't know them. And so I think any of us who have been believers for long, any of us who are believers recognize kind of that sometimes that's how the spirit works in us, that kind of that uneasiness that seems to only be settled by something that seems out of the ordinary. Um, and that we feel like that may be the Holy spirit talking to us. So, I'm sure that Philip had that queasy feeling in his stomach when he said, go over and join this random stranger's chariot. Um, but Philip, like the good guy he is, he's obedient. So we're going to get into that in the next section. But um, this is a great example, I think, of what sometimes evangelism can look like for us. Really, it comes down to obedience. So Philip was in a place and he, an angel of the Lord said to him, tough to maybe visualize an angel of the Lord a little more than maybe the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but um, tells him to go to this place. He goes, the Holy Spirit prompts him to get into the chariot. We're going to see in verse 30 that he does. And that's really what the story, like he's obedient. Um, Philip was available to be used as um, a tool by the Lord. He was available as an instrument of what the Lord was doing. He, uh, he was obedient when he felt that the Spirit was prompting. And I know for me that sometimes that that queasy feeling and, you know, sometimes it's in evangelism, sometimes it's in other ways that we're called to be obedient as believers. But um, I know that sometimes I can feel that that prompting of the spirit, feel that guidance and try to explain it away or rationalize it. And like, oh, no, it's probably just because I had Whataburger for lunch or, oh, no, that person doesn't look like they want to talk to me. I would just be bothering them you know, so on and so forth. You probably got your own uh, things that you run through in situations like that too. But really, if we're going to be uh, people who are ready to share the gospel, if we want to be people that uh, in and out of season, in the community of believers, outside of the community of believers, willing to talk about who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done, uh, what it requires of us at the end of the day is obedience. And it can be hard. It can be hard to be obedient and it can feel uncomfortable and 
Um, evangelism, I think, is a unique thing in that um, I do believe evangelism is a gift. And I think probably a lot of us have known people who are really gifted as evangelists. Um, but unlike the other gift, I don't think that anybody gets a pass on evangelism. Um, not everybody's called to teach. Um, not everybody's you know, called to um, be a prophet or and obviously not all people are called to be apostles. We know that there are certain people who in the course of history were apostles. Um, but I think all of us are called to evangelism. When we see that in the Great Commission, that all people who would wish to follow Jesus are called to be evangelists, even if it's not maybe the way that we're most gifted. And ultimately what it comes down to is like it does here with Philip, it comes down to obedience. Um, evangelism is not a numbers game as much as it is an obedience practice, uh, an act of surrender. Uh, evangelism does a lot of things for us uh, and it does a lot for other people. One, it brings glory to God because we're talking about the things that he's done and that brings glory to him, whether a person likes it or not. Um, when we proclaim what Jesus has done, that brings glory to God. Two, it it br- is helpful. It is useful. It is important. It is truth to a person who maybe has never heard that or has heard it before, but um, the Holy Spirit is kind of reaching to this person, trying to um, work in this person's heart, that they're feeling that same tug that you're feeling, um, that the Holy Spirit's at work. And that obedience is a, a, a way for the Holy Spirit to use us for someone else's good, for them to hear the gospel. Um, evangelism strengthens our faith. When we talk about what Jesus has done, um, we can talk about it you know, from a standpoint of the facts, what's in Scripture. And we can also talk about in evangelism what Jesus has done in our lives personally. Anytime we're sharing truth about what God has done for us, our, our faith is strengthened. Our faith grows because we are reminded anew um, and we're we're kind of showing ourselves what we believe when we go out on a limb to share it. So evangelism is such an important practice and one that can be so intimidating, so intimidating. Um, It requires a ton of practice. And I think we can all just be grateful for God's grace in that to know that we don't always have the right words. But I, my prayer for us all as we approach evangelism is really to have this heart of obedience and readiness and willingness to be instruments of the Lord wherever we are in whatever context we would feel that pull from the Holy Spirit, that we can be available like Philip, that we can be obedient like Philip, even in a time when it would seem very uncomfortable. Go over and join this chariot. That's not a normal request now. It wasn't really normal then. Um, people didn't just go jump in other people's chariots to start talking about um, what they're reading in their chariot. So um, really that's what I want to focus on as far as the evangelism, what we can learn from this passage about evangelism is just that heart of readiness and obedience and that we're willing to listen whenever the Lord is guiding us in a certain way. So as we move on through the story, I know I already spoiled it, but Philip is going to be obedient and he's going to go and run in the chariot. So starting in verse 30, going to read through verse 35. It says, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. See, there you go. He's in the chariot now. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? So we find out that this guy is um, not only 
just available right outside of Jerusalem um, for Philip to talk to him. Um, but we also find out that he's reading scripture. So again, if we had any ideas that this was just a, an accident, uh, I think that can pretty much be taken out. So anyways, continuing in verse 34 and 35, it says, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So this really gives us a great opportunity to discuss the story of scripture, or really the fact that the Bible is, at the end of the day, a, a unified book that is made up of many stories, but that is moving toward the same goal, as I mentioned kind of at the beginning. Um, scripture is really all about redemption, and ultimately we get to see in the New Testament Jesus revealed as this Redeemer, um, as the one who's going to come and reconcile us to God uh, through his death and resurrection. And this uh, Ethiopian, he's looking at Isaiah, and he's reading this prophecy, what we now know to be a prophecy, um, and Philip uses that as an opportunity to tell him the good news about Jesus. So as far as the story of scripture goes, we have several, there's several portions. I'm just going to name a few ways in which we see how um, scripture is a story of redemption, how it points toward Jesus, how it's unified. Um, we think even in Genesis after Adam and Eve sin, um, how we have this, I think we may have talked about it in a previous podcast, but this proto-euangelion, this first gospel that's given when it says that um, the descendant of man will, step on the serpent's head, though he will strike his heel, um, referring to Jesus' ultimate defeat of of Satan in finding a way through sin and death, uh, through faith in him, and uh, that maybe that striking his heel, referring to what Jesus went through in his life. Uh, we see it in Genesis 12 when God calls Abram, and that's something we talked about recently as well, um, that he told Abram that his descendants would be a blessing to all nations. And we see that realized ultimately in Jesus. We see this idea of redemption and salvation in the Exodus when God rescues his people from slavery. We see it reflected in the law, in the sacrificial system, um, that there were um, animals that were sacrificed on behalf of the people's sin, um, somewhat like this passage in Isaiah is, uh, is referring to, and how ultimately that's a shadow of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice um, we see in the some of the more narrative parts of the Old Testament, you think about Ruth, how Ruth shows loyal love, just like God shows loyal love, how Boaz is this kinsman redeemer, just like Jesus redeems us. Um, even stories like David and Goliath, where David is this unlikely hero um, who rescues the nation from Goliath, as and that being a shadow of what Jesus would do. Um, we see throughout the, the minor prophets, the major prophets, this uh, often this condemnation that comes from the prophets, but also this promise of redemption, this promise of making all things new, of God gathering his people back to himself. Really, this story of redemption is not something that's just for the New Testament. It's not something that even is just for little pockets of the Old Testament, but the story of scripture is a story of redemption. And ultimately, we realize that in Jesus. So um, that's something that's important for us to realize as we read scripture, um, that we don't think of it as a collection of isolated stories that have their isolated meanings. There are different applications that we can take from lots of different passages. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a story of God's redemption and us being reconciled to him. And Philip takes this opportunity with the Ethiopian to explain how this Old 
Testament scripture, um, which maybe had, uh, when people read it originally, may have had kind of one meaning. Maybe they understood it one way. But now that we have seen the revelation of Jesus, we understand it in a whole new way. He explains it. And he tells him that this was ultimately realized in the person of Jesus. So it says he began with this scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Um, scripture is a unified story. And that's something that should be important for us to realize. Um, and as we read the scripture, we have to have that in mind that this is ultimately God's story of redemption and um, looking for his character in the scripture. We learn a lot about that. So moving on to the last portion of the passage, verses 36 through 40, uh, verse 36 says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So we see that... Um, this Ethiopian, he hears what Philip has to say about Jesus and immediately uh, receives him. And um, this idea that he wants to be baptized quickly, it's a, it's a unique thing because as we practice today and as they largely practiced even back then is this was, baptism was more of a corporate thing than kind of an individual action. But um, we also see that in this time, you know, a lot of times now we have different denominations and they argue this and that about baptism. Baptism was very much closely aligned with someone's decision of faith at this time. So um, they didn't probably overthink mode of baptism, whether it was by immersion or sprinkling or um, do I have to be baptized for my salvation like some denominations believe. But really, this was kind of a thing that was tied together, the idea of professing faith and being baptized. So we see that the eunuch is professing faith and he wants to be baptized. He wants to profess that even if it's just uh, Philip and maybe whoever is in the chariot with him and uh, maybe any passersby who would see. Um, but we see that this Ethiopian, he had faith and that Philip was able to tell him in, for the first time about Jesus and the Holy Spirit worked in his heart to bring him to salvation. So um, it's a really cool story, a, a story that as, as we talked about evangelism uh, in the first section of this, um, in this lesson, we, we would love to be in a situation where this happened, where we told somebody the truth about Jesus and they just replied with obedience and they replied with uh, faith and we got to see that and they were eager. Um, and, you know, we don't always see that, but at the same time, we see how much the Holy Spirit's at work. And really the same Holy Spirit that was with Philip is also with us. So even though we may not always see an evangelism opportunity turn into something um, so clearly um, God-centered, so clearly a step toward faith, we also need to be aware that sometimes the Holy Spirit's doing a lot of things in people's hearts that we may not necessarily see. So this act of obedience, this act of faithfulness from Philip, um, the Holy Spirit uses that to bring someone to faith. So it's important. And really this Ethiopian coming to faith is kind of part, it's kind of in the middle of this larger unfolding story of the gospel going to all nations. So like we talked about um, in Genesis 12, God promises Abram that um, his offspring, through his offspring, that all nations of the earth will be blessed. We ultimately realize he's talking about Jesus and that salvation is ultimately for all people, all nations. Um, so we recognize that more fully at this point, being where we are. But during this time, um, 
it's really a process that's coming. Um, the the Jews are largely seeing, and rightfully so, Christianity as a outpouring of Judaism. Um, the a faithful Jew would ultimately be led to faith in Christ, um, but they didn't have this idea that people from other religions or really even maybe other ethnicities for some, um, that this gospel, that this story about Jesus was for them. This is kind of something that unfolds a lot in the book of Acts and that Paul is going to talk a lot about in his letters. So um, you may know that Paul, a big calling of his, and we're going to actually move into that, I think, next week and probably some weeks after that, Paul's major calling was to the Gentiles. And there was a lot of friction caused between him and some of the other Jews, and Paul was a Jew, uh, because of this difficulty of how do we reconcile the fact that this faith comes out of Judaism, but these people aren't Jews. So we see this is kind of a, a stepping stone in that process for the church moving to all nations. So let's remember beginning of Acts, what does Jesus promise? He promises that the Holy Spirit will come and he tells the disciples that they will be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So Jerusalem, they're like, okay, Judea is kind of like a province where Jerusalem is, right? Samaria, it's like, whoa, okay. Remember, you probably remember from the story of the Good Samaritan, there's animosity animosity between Jews of Jerusalem and Samaritans. Um, There's some animosity there. So they're probably like, okay, and then to the ends of the earth. So now we're dealing with kind of a whole different ballgame. I'm sure they probably didn't fully understand what that meant, but We've seen some steps already in what we've talked about. So Stephen, um, he went into, but when, when he had his big uh, thing, when he was preaching and he was telling people about Jesus, he ends up being stoned for his faith, first martyr. He was in what we would call the diaspora. So he's talking, um, it says in Acts 6, that he was going to a synagogue of the freedmen, of Cyrenians, Alexandrians, Cilicia, Asia, So he's talking to Jews, but they're kind of in this diaspora, meaning this is the dispersion of Jews who are not living in like Jerusalem, Judea kind of area. They're um, people of the Jewish faith, maybe even ethnically, um, likely ethnically, um, but they are in different places. They're not in their homeland, so to speak. So we see Stephen, that's kind of like a small step, like he's moving to other Jews, but they're not, you know, in Jerusalem and some of these not even in Judea. So we're seeing that. So Stephen is one of the people that is moving this mission forward. We also see, we kind of skipped over this part of Philip's story, but guess where Philip goes before we get this story? He is in Samaria. So in the beginning of chapter eight in Acts, Philip is going to Samaria. So he's proclaiming Christ there. And a lot of people believe, a lot of people believe in Jesus there. Um, There's even this magician who previously had been able to do these signs and he was even amazed, Um, but he goes and he finds faithful people, people who are wanting to believe in Jesus in Samaria. And now we see Philip talking to this Ethiopian. And remember, we talked about how far away this is. I mean, this is a high ranking official in a country that is south of Egypt, so really far away, who's now believing in the gospel. And he's taking this gospel back to his country to his people. And so we're seeing this unfolding and a lot of, and you see like, it's important to recognize that the spirit called Philip to this specifically. Would Philip have thought this is a person I should talk about the gospel with on his own? Maybe not. Maybe Philip wasn't quite sure what the nature of this gospel was, who it was for even at this point. 
So we see the spirit leading the disciples to tell people of all nations. And what we're going to get into soon is talking about Paul and how that's really going to be a focus of his is to be um, ministering to people who aren't of the Jewish faith. So Philip really serves as a faithful witness in kind of this unfolding story of the gospel that goes to all nations that was uh, originally promised to Abram. Um, specifically that we see that um, we can obviously think back to Genesis 32 as that being in, in a kind of a foreshadowing of what would happen, but we get our first real taste that the gospel is going to be for all nations in Genesis 12. And so that's something that was going on then. And we have to engage with the reality that this is something that um, we still struggle with to an extent. Um, we can kind of think the gospels for us, the church is for us, the way we do things is the right thing. Uh, or is the right way to do things. We can we can get really kind of self-focused in some ways. Um, we can't lose sight of the fact that God has a mission to all the nations. We can't lose sight of the fact that there are people that are in the time zone farthest from us that are believing in Jesus. We can't forget that um, there are even places in the world, there are many people who believe there will soon, for the first time in human history, be more believers in the Eastern hemisphere than the Western hemisphere, that there's kind of this shift moving from the center of Christianity being Europe, United States to um, being in Asia, uh, China, India. Um, and largely that has to do with the number of people, but also the incredible work that um, the Holy Spirit's doing in those countries that have historically been um, hostile to the gospel and what he's doing through the church there. Um, and so I think what that looks like for us to be mindful and for us to participate um, in God's global gospel, the gospel that goes to all nations, I think one is that we need to uh, be taking regular time to pray for brothers and sisters in other countries, brothers and sisters who have it more difficult than we do, um, that their countries are less friendly to Christians than ours. Um, I think two, we, it's a, a time for us to as a, as a people, as a church, to consider how do we participate with God's mission in other countries? Are we sending people? Are we supporting people who are going? Are we giving active time as a, as a church body to, to pray and recognize what God's doing in other places, um, to ask him on behalf to have some intercessory prayer for those people? And then I think it's also an opportunity, um, just like Philip, to be open to the leading of the spirit. If the spirit were to ask us to do something uncomfortable, if the spirit were to ask us to talk to somebody to go somewhere, um, Philip was not too far away from his home. Uh, he was able to have a major impact um, through the work of the spirit, but also like God is calling some of us to go overseas and to spread the gospel overseas. And, are we willing to do that? Or is that something that we're open to something to consider? And really one amazing thing that we do have uh, in America is we do have people from other countries that come here and many of them will go back to um, their home countries. So there's even a possibility of having an impact on the world, even just by talking to somebody out at the park or um, wherever your kind of public place you'd go, a Starbucks, there's a chance that you're talking to somebody from another country who plans to return to their country and the impact that could have, even if you weren't able to go to a country of that nature, um, that that person could and that they could be an impact for the gospel there. It's just something that I think that should not just be a thing that we think of every once in a while, but recognizing that a big portion of the scripture, a big portion of um, really 
the early church's history was dedicated to this idea that the gospel's for everybody and that they wanted to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth as they knew it. We have so many opportunities, so much um, given to us to continue to do that work. And it's something that we should take seriously in terms of how we listen to God in that. So that is all for this lesson. Um, I hope this was helpful for you. I hope that it gives you just uh, another opportunity to consider um, when the Holy Spirit's nudging you in the direction of somebody um, to be obedient. I'm praying that for myself as well. Um, a time to recognize scripture as God's story of redemption and how we fit into it, how all scripture fits into the story of redemption and how it should really ultimately lead us to bring glory to God for that. And then just the nature of the gospel that it is for all people and that we want to be a part in all people coming to know Christ. So I hope this is helpful and hope that if nothing else, that it gives us a recognition of how wonderful and incredible our God is, how gracious he is, how mighty he is, and how in everything he's working in us and through us for the salvation of many. Thank you.